0: Start the fucking
1: celebration. The holy light. Bow me. Nick Helm is a man so rock and roll, the discipline is not even big enough for him. A fine musician, in fact his latest album is imminent, he's made his name as a comedian and actor, providing heavy entertainment to the masses. His star is Sean Brightest in Hit Comedy Uncle, in which he plays a layabout musician trying to make it big. Ahead of his all killer some-filler live show in London, I thought I'd quiz him on the music he couldn't live without. Well, Nick, it's an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest on Desert Isolation Discs. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, we're recording in the Pleasance Theatre, your local, in fact. Yes, this is my local, yes. I live around the corner. It's yeah. a man with a huge red nose straight behind you that I'll try not to be. I, I think that's Mark
0: Watson. Is it? Well, I've got it, a it, feeling. It.
1: it looks. It does. It's definitely those glasses and beard. I
0: think somebody must have done it during one of his twenty-four hour shows. Ah, that would make sense. Does he love Gary Lineker, as the speech bubble says? I don't know, because I, I might be. I might be totally wrong. <laughs> but I think, yeah, there you go. Good luck, Mark.
1: Ah, that would make sense. We're
0: going for a world hugging record. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's a bit twee. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. Like 15 foot long.
0: Yeah, I think they must have got someone in to do it. I doubt it would have taken them 24 hours though, so, <laughs> job's worse. <laughs>
1: so, uh, how did you approach picking your favourite?
0: Machines. um <laughs> well, you the with, true story <laughs> the real the story true. the real story is uh, my uh, my pr lady told me i had to come up with three and uh, i came up, it took me ages to come up with three and then and i was Whittling really i deliberated over it for a long time and then two minutes ago you said you wanted eight and uh, and i've just like pulled another another, like... another five out my house and and it will change it will change like immediately as soon as i've said it i'll regret it i mean i already regret some of the stuff on the list as it is.
1: It's like I handed you, I, I was Dale Winton on Supermarket Suite, I've handed you a basket, yeah. and then just as you were about to self, I said, Oh, actually, you can have a trolley. You yeah, just, yeah. just piled I, them I in. Know,
0: literally, no, I, don't, I haven't needed uh, Yeah, There we go, perfect timing as well. <laughs> the
1: sound of something being piled in. Uh, so tell us about the first one then.
0: Well, one of my favourite composers um, is uh, Ennio Morricone. Uh, I went to see him with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I went to see him with my friend Nathaniel and um, and when we got there we were both kind of really excited about it and uh, and we, the one thing that we were saying was do you think he'll play the theme tune from Untouchables? Yeah. And we were really excited about it and we were just like thinking oh, well, I mean, obviously he's going to play Exe of Gold but do you think he'll play the Untouchables theme tune? Yeah. And, um, and not only did he play it but he opened with it. Mm. And um, and I think, it's, I think that that is one of the best... It, from it's from Brian De Palma's Untouchables. It's like one of the best um, opening credit sequences, mm. and uh, the theme tune is really sort of like unnerving, and it's got a really kind of like um, it's it's very <laughs> very rhythmic, mm. uh, but it, it's kind of like it's just that it's relentless kind of like um, uh, like. Beat to it, and uh, and when you're watching it, it really gets you kind of like in the mood to watch a film. But it really sets the tone for the film, like, amazingly. Because you're a massive film
1: buff, aren't you? I love, you uh,
0: yeah, I am a massive, massive film buff. And actually, I've just realised I've got, I've got a couple of. <laughs> oh wow, I've got three Kevin Costner films on it
1: <laughs> Without even trying <laughs> This should be a listen-along This could be a DVD extra for Costner that's, yeah, that's crazy we really
0: that, that is him. really crazy though <laughs> I've just literally realised I've got three Kevin Costner films uh, So I'm going with Untouchables for my first one Because I think it's a good way to start anything off But um, Great Yeah, amazing song Let's give it a listen
1: Great, the the fantastic Ennio Morricone in it. Uh, so tell us, uh, w- we all know your, your comedy work and your music work and your acting. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your attitude to music within that? Uh, as in, do you have a a preference within these three incredibly? What's my favourite? What's you my favourite do? thing? Yeah, well, what,
0: what do you enjoy doing the most? You know, um, I, I mean like to I I think that what I've tried really hard to do is to not. Uh, pigeonhole myself and t- mm. not typecast myself and um, um, and I just like being creative really and uh, what I found was when I was at school I used to do I used to be in a band and I used to write theatre and um, I used to do like you know write school assemblies and stuff like that and mm. um, uh, and be in all of the plays and um yeah, and then when I got when I got older, I started writing poetry, and uh, and I was always used to like doing art, and um, yeah. so I used to do all of that stuff. And then when I started doing stand up, and I started doing Edinburgh, yeah. I realized that you know you ended up like um, you know you were writing and directing. I started off doing plays in Edinburgh, but you, mm. but they were comedies, so you'd write and direct your own comedy. Yeah, you'd design the sets and the costumes and the posters, and so that was sort of like it would just tick a lot of tick a lot of artistic boxes and um, and I think uh, and then when I started doing stand-up I, needed, uh, I only had 15 minutes of material I had to do 20 yeah. and so I just whacked in one of my songs <laughs> um, and what I found was the more sincere I was with my songs I, was, I used to write quite heartfelt, sincere songs Yeah. And what I found is that when you did it People laughed at them. <laughs> so, uh, so you just sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better be, deli- yeah, it's better be funny. Yeah, you're meant to- no, 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 no. It's not my heartbreaking, really. You know. No. So that was just a happy accident. It was a, well, it was a happy, and then and then I think that's sort of like where I sort of developed my sense of humour from, which was, I found that the more sincere and honest you were, mm. um, or the more like um, awkward you made things, uh, the funnier it got, really, and mm. because people's. Um, ...mechanism would be like, I can't handle this, it's too embarrassing... Yeah. ...so I'm going to laugh. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's kind of like how my act developed. But um, I don't really... Ha- I mean, I've started making films as well... ...so I don't really, I don't really have a preference to what I do. It's just uh, when you feel like one of the things that you're doing... ...is getting a bit stale, you can always mm. move on to the next thing.
1: Do you think people understand that it is an act?
0: Not always. I don't think they do always. I don't think they have to. No. I think that sometimes when people don't understand that it's an act... The people that do understand it and act enjoy it more. Because mm. um, so, I, I, split, I split audiences, you know? Yeah. So, so I'll have a good gig and a bad gig yeah. um, at the same time. <laughs> so there'll be audiences that love it and audiences that hate it. Yeah. And the, when the audiences that hate it... Um, uh, when the audiences that love it notice the audience that hate it, then yeah. they love it more. There was a, there was a gig I did in uh, Edinburgh in 2011, mm. and I got a five-star review from The Telegraph. And that meant that all of these telegraph readers came to see this five star show that didn't yeah. exist. It didn't exist. It was just like one guy liked it; he gave it five stars, yeah. and all the telegraph readers went, "Oh, it's five stars. It must be excellent." And okay. so they came in with their arms folded, and they were like, "Where's this five star show?" And you go, "Well, really, it's a group effort. You know, yeah. if the audience like it and you like it, yeah, and you're enjoying it, then it becomes a five star show. But it's if the audience hate thing. it, yeah, th- and you and you hate being on stage, then it's you know, it's going to fail." Um, yeah. So it's a day by day. It's a moment. It's a, It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, you know, bottling lightning. Yeah.
1: Now no, it's such a good point that the audience don't. And it, it, so team. it's
0: almost impossible, to, I think, to review um, live comedy mm. unless it's a recording of it. You know, yeah. uh, which doesn't change. But if it's live comedy, you know, a show will change from day to day. Mm. And um, and so I had all this audience in, and then um, and literally the front row. It was there was four rows deep. Yeah. It was at the Pleasance beside and. The, the, f- the entire front row got up and left throughout the, sh- f- throughout the hour some people left within the first five minutes yeah, which was ridiculous because they hadn't even had a chance to but the- yeah. it was a very intense show and p- p- some people couldn't handle it yeah, which was ridiculous because it's not my intention to do that, no, it- it's just to entertain people and, uh, and then the entire front row left and some others. But the people that stayed, yeah. it, they thought it was amazing. Cause yeah. just like, cause, <laughs> because they loved it even more. Because they were just like, I can't believe that people yeah. have reacted so strongly to this. And it, it, you know, that's probably one of my favourite ever gigs. Cause, yeah. because, and, it, and it involved a third of the audience walking out. You know? <laughs> Which to mo- most people would be a failure. But yeah. for me it was just kind of like, no. Nah. Good no it's fine it. <laughs> it's better than it's better than everybody staying and mildly enjoying it yeah you know I mean? definitely
1: definitely yeah.
0: <laughs> so what was the second choice you've got okay. so my second one is going to be uh, The Power of Love uh, by Huey Lewis in the news from Back to the Future fantastic um, and what I'd say about that is um, it's just one of the best films ever made and it's, mm-hmm. it's had a revival recently because of uh, the year being uh, it was yeah. 2015 last year yeah um and uh, and that's good. It's justifiable. You know, people have gone. But I think that it's just one of those films that. Um, I mean, that really is like lightning in a bottle. And I, and I just really loved that first film. I love Michael J. Fox. I love Christopher Lloyd. And yeah. uh And uh, Lee, uh Is it Leah Thompson or Lea? Yeah. Uh, Lea. Leah, is it? Yeah. Is it Leah or Lee I never know because I've only seen it written down. But yeah. Charlie, I thought I thought it was Lea. But, uh, but no. um, I love her, and uh, yeah. You know, she was like one of my like first. Screen crushes, and, and that song that song is just such an amazing, it's such a cool song, and it makes you feel like because when it kicks in at the beginning of the film, it makes you feel like you're just about to go on like this adventure with it. It's yeah. such, such an amazing um, setup for the rest of the film, it's brilliant. And the whole soundtrack is great, but that song is brilliant. Well, let's uh, strap ourselves into
1: the DeLorean <laughs> then and uh, motor on through. <laughs> Mention um, Edinburgh there. How do you go about constructing a show for Edinburgh? Uh, you're not you're not doing it this year, are you? But uh, you've done, you've done it many, many, many times. Do you have a certain sort of tactically? You go out to theme it around something in particular, or
0: yeah. I mean, um, I'm sort of gutted that I'm not doing Edinburgh this year um, mm-hmm. because I've got a show that I'd like to do, yeah. which for me was quite an important show because it was a very personal show that has a sell-by date really. Right. Where I wrote it last year, I had a bit of a weird year last year, and so I wrote a show about it. But what's the sort of broad theme? Oh, it was just about. I, I just I moved into a flat and I was living by myself, and it was kind of about. Yeah. Um, so I think every other year I've written in character, yeah. and this year was kind of like a fairly um, honest. I wasn't really, It wasn't really a, a, a character thing. Yeah. And also I wasn't. I wasn't. It was one of the first shows that I've written in a long time where I wasn't particularly concerned about being funny. Mm. Where I think if I look at something like One Man Magamith, yeah, um, which I did in two thousand and thirteen, that was all about. Putting on a show and let's yeah. let's entertain the audience. What a show! I had an evil carnival costume, yeah. and I already had a title, one man Megamith. And then I basically based it around a title and a costume, and I said, right, I'll do it like an evil Knievel show, and we'll do the set we will be like a Hot Wheels set, like the old evil carnival stunt <laughs> yeah. set. And then um, I wanted to write all of this material about evil carnival, and then um, then this a cat. There was a stray cat that died in my garden that I'd become very fond of. I hate cats and I'd become very fond of this thing. And that actually like broke my heart a little bit. So I I wrote I wrote my show all about all of the stuff that it's the first time I'd done it. It's the first time I'd done yeah. something that personal where I'd written a show about all the stuff that had happened to me that year. Yeah. And then I tied it all into the the you know, the pointless pursuit of fame. Yeah. And how we all die alone. <laughs> and uh and you know the point of life is to make as many friends as possible and then mm. and, and the point was you know I, my only friend i hate cats and my only friend was this cat and then it died yeah and so then i kick him over kick him over these little buses and stuff and i thought that, that was a really yeah. well constructed show i was really proud of that show yeah and then um, but that's the thing and then but they all have a certain rule you know you open with a song you close with a yeah. sort of like a, a big cathartic number yeah uh, you open big close big And in between, you have sort of like a roller coaster journey where you bring people right down Mm. and then you bring them up again at the end. And it's kind of like... They've all got that similar structure. And then you just pick a different theme every year and kind of like explore that theme as much as you can.
1: What's your next tune? My
0: next tune is uh, the theme tune from Commando by James Horner. Um, Commando is... I was considering it as a guilty pleasure, but I'm not ashamed. Commando is maybe maybe my third favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger film, and I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> um, but I, I love Commando so much. I really love the c- Commando theme tune. Um, it's up there with... I think Predator's also a good one, but I like the Commando one. Uh, I think what's interesting about the Commando one is it's almost identical to James Horner's 48 Hours uh, uh, score. Yeah. But it's almost identical, which is almost... It's gobsmacking. Yeah. Uh, how similar they are. Yeah. But, um but uh, it's all got all the same instruments it's got all the same like, moments it's just a slightly different tune but I grew up watching Commando and uh, I love it
1: So you grew up watching Commando yeah. uh, Can you tell us about uh, your childhood you, you grew up here in London and then
0: went out to St Albans that Yeah that's right, right. Yeah. that's well researched yes. <laughs> um, Yeah I grew up in Well
1: Fing- in my research uh, you, you've told me something I didn't know before which is that market
0: days in St Albans are Wednesdays and Saturdays Wednesdays and Saturdays, yes Yeah, if you've ever been shown around St Albans uh, you'll see the market you <laughs> see the clock tower You'll see the Waffle House, the cathedral, and, uh, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's that's what we've got, that's what we've got in... um... So what was the young you like then? Um, Yeah, I think the young me, what was the young me? I was very happy in London, Mm. and I was very unhappy in St Albans, Mm. and um, I never really fit into St Albans until probably about halfway through secondary school hmm. where I kind of like started doing drama and get, got into that a bit and I started writing stuff and, yeah and that was um, and yeah it was kind of uh, but I think that's where I suddenly uh, that's I think that's why A. I developed a love of comedy hmm um, which comedians were you well we used we used to, to, we used to have film? video shops
1: yeah <laughs> so do you know what I mean? It was just kind of like <laughs> on
0: Friday night, your mum would take you to the video shop and you'd mm-hmm. get a Chinese takeaway and then you'd, you'd watch... Um, well, you'd, you'd spend, like, an hour in the video shop picking what you were going to watch over the weekend. And uh, I'd always, like... We'd always get, like, either, like... I think we used to watch Spaceballs a lot and Three Amigos. Yeah. And Steve Martin was, like, my hero... Um, and I think so when I was growing up my dad um, used to show me Woody Allen films yeah um, and I was I was really young I was too young for them (laughs) way to bleed
1: neurosis into yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) but like the thing is it's really weird because like my dad used to find Woody Allen hilarious he used to just like laugh and laugh and laugh at him and I would be like this kid and I didn't understand I was like four or five and I didn't understand any of the jokes but I'd look up at my dad and he was laughing and I'd kind of like go, Ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ha, 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 ha. ha yeah dad yeah. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Um, and then um, and like Ghostbusters, obviously. Um, but back then, Ghostbusters wasn't a comedy; it was a horror film. Mm. You know, you were tiny, and you were like watching Ghostbusters, and m- my dad was laughing. You go, "What are you laughing about, Dad? That librarian ghost is terrifying." <laughs> you know what, mean? what are you laughing <laughs> about, Dad? There's that, that ghost in the taxi is just oh. um, <laughs> you were petrified. Yeah, petrified. It was just. Uh, but um, we went to the video shop every Friday, and you like you. because that's the difference in Netflix, isn't it? Because we, were, I was trying to find something to watch on Netflix yesterday. Yeah. Just, you just don't. You end up not watching watching anything yeah. whereas if you were at the video shop you'd get out you know what's, well when we were at university I think we ended up getting our idle hands and uh, a clockwork orgy right um, <laughs> there was, like, four of us, four or five of us. We should, You know, there was me, my girlfriend, and, like, three others. Yeah. And, um, and we'd go to Blockbuster, and we'd get out the... And we were all nerds. Yeah. And we'd get out these um, these films, and you'd be stuck with them. There's and and budget you'd budget. sit down, and you'd go, right, we've paid one ninety nine to watch A Clockwork Orgy. We're going to do it. So, you'd yeah.
1: get your £199 was, out of that. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean,
0: that was, that was really bad. It was really bad, but... <laughs> so what's the next song you've got? So that? the next... I th- I'll pick a song. This is Big Gun by ACDC. Great. Um and it's from Last Action Hero and uh, I think it was probably my introduction to ACDC mm-hmm. um, and I love the song so much I think it's brilliant and I use it, I use it quite often as getting music when the audience are coming in I always use yeah. b- uh, Big Gun as one of my favourite ACDC tracks mm-hmm. uh, ACDC are one of my favourite bands and, um, and I got there through Last Action Hero uh, the overlooked Arnold Schwarzenegger classic <laughs> <laughs>
1: On all, overall, Arnie. Um, so, th- can you give us an insight into the world of Uncle, then, You're, the sitcom that you star in? You're absolutely fantastic and it is a great show. I'm um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did that come about and what's it like to film? Um, well, that
0: came about because um, in 2011, mm-hmm. when I was doing my show uh, Dare to Dream, um, that got nominated, and a lot of people suddenly started coming to see that. Mm. And um, uh, Henry Normal from Baby Cow, he came to see it because I uh, had a lot of Steve Coogan DVDs, Yeah. and I and knew that's who his he production was. Company, He's one of it? my absolute like Henry Normal is one of my heroes, mm. and um, and I came out, and he was sat in the front row. And it was like oh. She managed
1: to keep things together.
0: Barely, though, barely. It was just like, thanks, Henry. I think they got this script, and I think the script had been around for a couple of years Mm. and it had gone around a lot of, a few other production companies. And it was exactly the same as the pilot, except he was an actor and not a musician. Right. And then um, uh, I read it and I went in for a meeting to meet the writer Oliver Refson, who directed it as well. Yeah. And um, they said, um, oh. They said, uh, do you two like each other? And I was like, yeah. He goes, do you like the script? I was like, yeah. And he goes, all right, we'll film in the autumn. And it was it. I didn't audition or anything. Um, wow. And I'm terrible at audition, so it's just as well, because if I'd have auditioned for Uncle, I wouldn't have been an Uncle. Yeah. We yeah. did the pilot with Channel 4, and then Channel yeah. 4 didn't want it. And Shane, at, at that point, had left Channel 4 and went up to BBC Three. It was in the skip. Mm. So <laughs> Shane just took it out of the skip and took it over to BBC Three. And, um, and, yeah, and I'm really amazingly grateful for that, because... Uh, it, I mean, my life has changed several times because of various things. Like Russell Howard changed my life, and, yeah. and Keep Hold of the Gold changed my life as a live show. Mm. Then Russell Howard, and then doing Uncle changed my life, and it's kind of um, I'm really grateful for all of that. And so, and so much of the
1: show relies on the relationship between your character Andy and and uh, Roly. The, That's the, how have you sort of, uh, have you developed that relationship off off screen? Um, well, we don't hang out. Um, Do you wish he hung out and played computer games? <laughs>
0: like, oh. I really love him. I think he's such—he's brilliant. He's—I can't—I yeah. don't have enough nice things to say about him. Really, he's—he's mm. he's absolutely great. Um, all my favourite scenes are the scenes where it's me and him on a park bench, or me and him yeah. like driving around in the car together. And we hardly ever see the kid because um, he has to do uh, tutoring in between takes and stuff, so he gets uh, he, right. he gets brought out to do the takes and he gets zipped away again. I think this series is going to be different because we're filming during mm. the summer holidays, mm. so I think that he hasn't got to do any tutoring. So I, it'll be in, it'll be fifteen as well. But I remember last time <laughs> he was coming in and it'd be like, "What sort of music are you into?" And he'd just sort of like discovered like. He'd just been in the loft and found, like, all of his you know, parents' albums yeah. and stuff. What are you into? And he's like, Blur and Pulp. And I was like, oh, no, I'm so old. <laughs> it's But like, it would be the same as you finding Beatles albums, yeah, like yeah. 12-inch Beatles records. I discovered parents,
1: this band. Yeah, i
0: discovered a this band. You won't have heard of them. I like cool music, Nick, like Pulp. And you're like, they're going, oh, no, oh, so man. old. And what's your own
1: uh, personal uncle or nephew relationships, if you have any? I don't have any
0: nephews. Mm. Um, I've, got, I've got an uncle called Chris, who I love. Yeah. And Uncle came out, and um, he's, he's like an electrician. His claim to fame yeah. was being interviewed uh, when the power went down up north in Evesham <laughs> on Blue Peter by John Leslie, which... In 1988, it was prestigious. That was big. But now, <laughs> you kind of think, it's a bit tainted. But, um, <laughs> but, um, so anyway. So he, was, uh, so, so he doesn't really approve of my swearing or anything like that. Right. But um, I did this, my uncle came out, and uh, I got this letter from him, and I was like, oh, right, what's this letter? So I opened the letter, uh, and it was like a letter. It was like, I found these these, these cuttings, and he'd gone out, and he'd, uh, he hadn't just cut out from the newspaper, he'd gone to like mm. the post office and photocopied the newspaper and cut out the photocopies of the <laughs> and So he'd gone to a lot of effort, yeah, and they were bad reviews. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, they were not, not all. Yeah, they were just like uh, <laughs> "Uncles a terrible show." And <laughs> There's never been a more unlikable uh, creation <laughs> from Oliver Refson, and, uh, and it was just like you just like go, oh, why, why would you do that? Why would you go to that much effort to send me negative <laughs> reviews? Um, I think he just did it because my name was in print, and he yeah. was uh, overexcited, and he didn't realise, <laughs> didn't realise the context of it. True place of
1: music. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: the next one is uh, the John Dunbar theme from uh, Dances with Wolves, which is my second Kevin Costner pick of, uh, <laughs> of the show. Um, Dances with Wolves, the director's cut, at like three hours forty-five minutes. <laughs> I, it, it zips by. I love it. I love it so much. I just think it's it's one of those films where it's sort of like... The music is just emotionally stirring and the ending is just... It destroys me. You can see disaster on the horizon and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's so it's quite a frustrating film, but I think it's amazing. And the theme tune, the John Dunbar theme tune, is one of the best pieces of music I can like.
1: talking uncle then uh, do you uh, so you're, you're going to do another series of that do you have ambitions to do similar kind of work are, are you now turned on TV in that sense
0: Um, I I, I love um, I love acting yeah. um, I love acting on TV um, yeah. I love doing stand up comedy I think if there's a if there's a world where you can kind of like uh, plate spin mm. and keep everything going at the same time that's good oh, yeah. um, I made a short film last year which um. Uh, I directed and co-wrote uh, and that was based on a year in my life that happened about ten years ago mm. um, and uh, I, I, to be honest that's what I'd like to do
1: And could, Can you tell the listeners about your speech the BAFTA
0: speech? Oh yeah, <laughs> well I mean basically I made this little uh, romantic um, this romantic short film uh, called Elephant uh, that I wrote with uh, my co-star from Uncle Esther Smith um, And... I had to do a speech. I got we got Bafta nominated ridiculously because um, we made it for an for for the for iPlayer. Yes. So yep, most people yeah. are meant to watch it on their phones, and yeah. we got. We not only did we get Bafta nominated, but we got invited to the Baftas where we were in the same room as Steven Spielberg and, <laughs> and George Miller and Leonardo DiCaprio and everything, and you're just like, that's ridiculous. It's kind of it's crazy. And they said, what inspired you to do that? And I was like, and in the audience, it's kind of like lots of kind of like. Uh, not elderly, but kind of like... Uh, <laughs> old, uh, wizened. <laughs> older, older ladies they were. And um, and they said, uh, what... What, um, what do you... Why did you, make your, why did you make your thing? And I was like saying, well, when you actually look at a lot of TV sitcoms, it's predominantly uh, cunts being cunts to cant's watched by cunts. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, and I I was so charming that I got away with it. And I, at the end of it, nobody really commented on the swearing. Uh, so my mum was there and she was just like saying, you did manage to say count four times in one sentence, Nick. I was like, yeah, I know, I'm quite proud of that. I managed to get away with it she as well. She was very proud. Yeah, she was very proud of me.
1: And so obviously with the awards uh, and things like that, obviously comes fame you talked about the kind of relationship with that did, I mean, and you talked yeah, about obviously being recognised on the street in your hometown and someone shouting
0: grandad when,
1: when oh yeah so I, somebody
0: he... somebody shouted grandad at me and I felt really <laughs> old and then I realised that they meant uncle and I was like oh that's alright um,
1: do you feel like it's something that you have to handle as such or just that, that kind of comes in it's analogy. weird because it's
0: sort of an ugly thing fame is mm. an ugly thing because um, I think if if you're Pursuing it, um, then the work doesn 't count mm. or the work is secondary um, and I think um, I think fame should uh, in terms of how I feel about it, I think fame mm. is a byproduct of doing something good, and you can either take that or you can leave it mm. and I think um, you know fame can be useful at, the, at first because mm. um, you can use it to get more jobs yeah. and you can use it to get more work and if you 're hot at the moment then then people want to work with you and stuff like that. But then fame eventually kind of goes away. Mm. And if you haven't got a body of work that supports that, it's a worthless pursuit, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I think fame is a a tricky thing.
1: I see when you're linked particularly to comedy,
0: people expect you to... Be funny all the time. Yeah, Yeah, or or they just expect... In America, it's different. I think in America, if you've done a sitcom, people go, oh, there's that man from that sitcom. Mm. And now he's doing stand-up. He's... He must be. He must be a yeah. good stand-up. Yeah. Whereas in England, people go, "There's that man from that sitcom." Do the sitcom. Do the sitcom. <laughs> and you're on stage, and you're like going, "I don't know what Uncle." You know, yeah. they, you know. They come up and they go, "Well, it's not Uncle, is it?" And you go, "Well, I don't know what that is. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what your idea of yeah, what that is." You I, you am it. I meant to? Yeah. Am I meant to kind of like what do? do monologues for <laughs> yeah. Uncle or I'm bring a kid Fun out them. and talk <laughs> yeah. to him, about, talk <laughs> to him about puberty for an hour <laughs> it's just kind of like, I don't know what you think that that is but it's not this show yeah um, and your next piece uh... well interestingly when um, me and Ollie had that meeting at Baby Cow um, yeah. we talked about our, our influences and we both I, because I read the script Uncle could be it could be an Adam Sandler film mm. or it could or you know what I mean it could be very broad mm. and uh, or it could be something that's a little bit more um, uh, delicate. Yeah. And I very, I very much wanted it to be Erin on the side of um, delicate. Um, and so it was really important to work out what sort of what Ollie wanted to make before I said yes. And we both really love Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, I think he's come off the board a bit recently, but my, fa- but I think that my favourite film is... Uh, one of my favourite films of all time is Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah <laughs> And um, fantastic. <laughs> and I think the Luke Wilson suicide scene in that is kind of one of... Um, one of I think it's a really powerful scene. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a beautiful scene, in fact. And um, I don't think Elliot Smith is a particularly cool person to like, but um, I think Needle in the Hay... Uh, by Elliot yeah. Smith for that sequence in the world is one of the best bits of music in it so yeah I'm going to pick that yeah, it's, it's and that is a film with a lot of good musical moments yeah
1: it really is and, and good tracksuits as well as I amazing tracksuits <laughs> great let's have a listen. your hand on his arm stacked that charm around your
0: neck Calling some friend, trying to cash some check He's acting dumb, that's what you've
1: come to expect Needle in the head say you know what he did but you idiot kid you don't have a clue sometimes
0: they just get caught in the eye you're pulling him through
1: Uh, sli- slightly more trivial question, then. You've, um, you've got an incredible husk to your voice when you perform sometimes, when, yeah, you, yeah, when yeah. you're singing. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have to practise that? Is that uh, and, and how on earth do you not, uh, you know, uh, spend a year's voice. performance money on just lozenges alone?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't... It's... <laughs> I've never had any singing. Did, did you
1: cultivate the the husk? Uh, you know, was it deliberate? No, I think mm. it's,
0: it's interesting. When I sing live, it comes out more. Mm. Um, and it's uh, I, on the new album. I there are some tracks where I'm singing quite nicely. Yeah. Um, and um, there are some songs that are very husky where I've kind of like gone full Lemmy so will you tour the
1: album at all or will you you work it into your stand up no I think a
0: lot of the stuff is kind of like been from previous shows there's some new songs which I'd like to make into music videos and kind of and
1: and do stuff with that I mean Um, they must be incredibly fun to make particularly with Uncle you know you get to make
0: these fantastic do you know what actually the music videos are the hardest thing in Uncle I can imagine they're absolutely because normally what happens is we have no rehearsal and Mm. half a day yeah and um, (laughs) and I don't know. I just they're they're really they're really stressful. Um, they're really hard. They're just really really hard. What makes them hard? Just because there's no time or money, mm. and, and 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 time is money. So mm. if we had more of a budget, we'd have a day to film the music. you you basically yeah. need a day to film music videos, yeah. and we normally just do them in. Like I know for the last series, in episode one, there was about like five music videos or four music videos in the first episode, yeah. and we did them all in an afternoon. <laughs> And uh, but that were, and they were really short, yeah. Because they weren't like full music videos, but they were. But they were still setups yeah. and concepts and costume changes, and you know, uh, lip you're, syncing. You're, you know, you're rapping and yeah, kind, li- you know. Lip syncing is is one of the hardest things because yeah. you because you're not you're not singing and you're not kind of like what you're doing. You're you're trying to recreate a performance that you did. But we, did, I mean, for instance, we did the No Survivors video, which is like yeah. a full length five minute video, and I think that's an amazing video. Um, But we didn't have any budget for that. I bought my own... um, I think I had two costumes. We rented one on budget, Mm. which was the Mad Max future costume, but the pilot outfit I bought. So I I, I had to rent that because we didn't have enough budget to do that. So that came out of my own pocket. But I said we needed two costumes. It couldn't just all be this futuristic thing. So I ended up spending like 150 quid out of my own cash so that I could kind of so that we could do the video properly
1: yeah
0: and we did all of that in um, uh, in a scrap in a scrapyard in Dorking in mid November or late November, early December. It was absolutely freezing. Oh. It was, and we were out all day in this highly flammable kind of... Uh, there was highly flammable tar everywhere because it was leaking out of all the cars. Oh, my God. And it was just kind of like... It was just this... But it was such a... there was a, There's a mini behind-the-scenes video of it. It was actually a really fun, lovely day. Yeah. And it was almost like a reunion because we came back to do it after we'd finished filming Uncle. Right, so this is the new one for me. We're going to have um, uh, the theme from Suspiria by Goblin. Um, which is uh, it's a toss up between that and the um, the sort of like nursery rhyme one from uh, Profondo Rosso Deep Red uh, which is Dario Argento but um, yeah I think the Suspiria one is more accessible as a Mm. piece of music but um, what do you like about it? Ah, just I've just suddenly got into Goblin and uh, the, the band. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I went to see um, Nat, me and Nat, Nat Metcalf again, but we went to see them in. Um, Uh, In Camden Mm. i tell you what I went to see um, A couple of Halloweens ago Alice Cooper did A talk at the BFI About the films That influenced his career Yeah And one of the films Was Suspiria And I I had a massive gap In my uh, knowledge I've never seen Any Dario Argento And I've not seen Suspiria But the clip they showed Looked amazing So I watched it and I thought it was great. Yeah, and then uh, the chance came up to see uh, a screening of Deep Red with Goblin playing underneath the screen, and they played the score underneath the screen. And that was one of the best in the world experiences I've ever had. Mm. Um, and I lo- Deep Red is probably... I, I, I love Deep Red. I love it a lot. I, I, I probably prefer it slightly to Suspiria, but I do... Mm. Uh, but I love Suspiria. I love Inferno, which is sort of like the sequel to Suspiria. Yeah. Um... I just I watched Inferno for the first time when I'd hurt my neck and I was on tramadol, really? and Inferno is like watching a dream. But okay. when you're on tramadol, yeah. it just takes it to the next <laughs> level. Um, so I recommend straining a muscle and uh, getting yourself some of that. But yeah, I think Goblin are amazing, and this is like, this is this is maybe your gateway into listening to Dario Argento's soundtracks. Let's give it a spin.
1: Sad to say, we're nearing the end of your desert isolation disc experience. Obviously, I'm propelling you into the desert and probably a freak hang gliding experience. Yeah. Uh, how do you think you'd cope in desert? You, you're a practical person. No. <laughs> I'd die. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, in the time that you were, you think you'd be able to listen to the eight eight songs before that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, that would be. Yeah. I mean, now now the reality of it is kicking in. Yes. I feel like it was.
1: I mean, I've got your ticket here. I shouldn't have really
0: filled my bag with eight records. we bought some water.
1: <laughs> uh, and we're very generous here on the podcast. We give you the the complete Red Dwarf box set and the oh, time no. you came to tea picture book. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. But you're allowed another luxury item. What would you
0: like to take? It'd be a brothel. No, it'd
1: be, <laughs> it'd be a, um,
0: a brothel with a free bar. <laughs> it would be maybe like a, a, a fully air conditioned uh, home cinema. <laughs> And then you could get... With, with like, a drinks machine as well at mm-hmm. the front. And
1: some films, presumably. and and, and,
0: yeah. and, yeah, a complete library. Or at least a connection to uh, uh, illegally downloadable yeah. YouTube clips. That'll yeah. be
1: fine. The, the cops can't get you out there. No, that's, I don't think so. They, were, they
0: could, but it'd be a, <laughs> a tedious, long journey. And then if they could get me, actually... Bring it on, and then I can get home. <laughs> uh, so, what's the last song you covered? Everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Adams. <laughs> yeah. the third in my Kevin Costner trilogy. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize I didn't realize uh, that I'd picked three Kevin Costner films, but um, there you go. Um, I think um, I really love Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. Yeah, and um, and I, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I rewatched it when Alan Rickman died. Mm. I rewatched the director's cut and. Uh, and yeah it's great I think it's really great the director's cut is interesting because Kevin Costner went into the editing room Mm. he locked the director Kevin Reynolds out Mm. who was his best friend and um, he went along and he cut like half an hour of uh, Alan Rickman out Mm. So the director's cut puts in kind of like half an hour of Alan Rickman back into the film. Yeah. And what's interesting about it was because um, it's, it's... The way it's reported is that it's largely an egotistical thing from Kevin Costner that he couldn't stand the fact that Alan Rickman was upstaging him. Yeah. And so he went in and he cut out his part. But what's interesting about it, that might be the case, but what's interesting about it is actually he made a lot of good decisions mm. because a lot of the scenes that he's cut out of Alan Rickman are quite unpleasant. And the way that it's left is he's actually a lot more likeable and, in actual fact, he overshadows Kevin Costner slightly more. He's less of a villain and <laughs> yeah. he's more of, like, a pantomime... Yeah, he's not... ..guy that, you know, bad that guy that you love age. to... You, yeah. ..guy that you love to hate.
1: Well, I think we'll let Big Bri play us out, Make it in Absolute pleasure. Some great choices, fascinating stories. I really appreciate uh, you coming on to the podcast, and uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, go and see you play live, and go and buy your album. Yeah,
0: come on the fourteenth of April to my gig, Mm -hmm. and my new album is called Nick Helm is fucking amazing, and uh, it's good. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right, over to you, Mister Adams.